Good morning, everyone. There we go. <laughs> morning. Everyone's very excited this morning. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, Bill. Thank you. If we can make our way back to our seats, I'm, I'm excited to see everyone talk, you know, interacting. Bodes well for our coming picnic next week. Um, hey, a little plug on the t-shirt. I was just, uh, you know, I know you mentioned the t-shirts. I, you know, interesting about t-shirts is that uh, sometimes, you know, it's great that we have our logo and stuff, and that's good promo for the church. But a lot of times when you do get t-shirts, you know, they're always not that great, right? Because you get to mass produce. And, but these ones are actually really nice. My, all my family, they are very nice. In fact, they're $5. So it's, I encourage you. They are, they, they're, they're well made. And they, I was, you know, props to whoever like uh, put that together. Was it Seth or was it somebody else? Oh, a group effort. Good, good. So good, a plug there for the shirts. Um, and that's the other thing. It's like putting a, a star on your, you know, putting the fish on your car. I, I stopped putting that on my car because I figured, you know, the way I drive, people are going to go, hey, too much of a hypocrite, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you got you to gotta act right with it, which actually goes well for this, this topic, actually. Um, we're going to talk about maturity today. Uh, this is a continuation of the series that uh, kind of started last week or two weeks ago. As Seth talked about it and on about Christian living, um, which I think that is the topic, or the overall topic. But I'm talking about maturity today. I'm going to look at Colossians. Um, when you think about this topic, some questions might arise, like, um, you, know, why, why, you know, like, why do I need to be mature? Um, maybe some people want to be a child the rest of their life. <clears throat> what does that mean? What does it look like? Uh, isn't it enough to say that I believe in Jesus? Why, why do I need, what, what is this maturity thing, you know? John 3.16 says, that all I need to do is believe in Jesus. So there's a little, there's a lot packed into those two words, believe in. Um, so I'm going to attempt to, uh, to answer these questions. I'm going to look at a passage or walk us through passages I think kind of help illustrates, illustrates that. Um, Colossians 3, 1 through 17 since then, you have been raised with Christ, or since then, yeah, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in your heart. Dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here. Thank you, Lord, that we could come together and and worship you, Lord, and and, uh, commune together, Lord, and and, and stand in unity uh, with you, Lord. Just bless our time here, Lord. Speak to us through your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, going on to that question of maturity, I want to look at why maturity, how to be mature in Christ, what does it look like, and what is the ultimate goal? So why maturity? Well, one is we're kind of commanded to do it. In this passage, in verse 1, it says, Since then... You have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Um, and then we also have a few other verses, you know, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, and this is key, so that by it you will, may grow in your salvation. Now that you have tasted the Lord is good. And then um, one other one, Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying, again, the foundation of repentance for acts that lead to death and of faith in God. So one is we're commanded to, we're encouraged to, to continue on in our faith and understand and grow in Christ. But it also reveals that we are a follower in Christ. Um, I think of the verse, 1 John 2, 9. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. And then uh, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, then uh, he laid down his life for his friends. Now, I put that in there because the example that I, ca- I kind of had in my head was actually that of Peter. Um, and I want to kind of, let's go to... Uh, Peter at, you know, Jesus' inquisition, right? You know, um, you know, you have Peter there, and I was going to use a certain phrase, but then Microsoft told me that some people may be offended by it, so he was full of blank and vinegar was the word I was going to use, but they tell me I shouldn't use that other word. But he had just told Jesus not too long before then that I would lay down my life for you. So he's very gung-ho, you know, he's, you know, he's feeling good about himself. And then when the first time somebody asks him a question about whether he's a follower of Christ, he denies Christ. And let's get this straight. So it wasn't just anybody, it was a little girl. So much for that kind of the tough act. You know, he, 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 he wilted away so very quickly. But then you jump ahead and you look at passages in Acts, and we just went through Acts, um, where Peter, you know, is willing to lay down his life for Christ. He has grown in his maturity, in his understanding. He has shown himself to be someone that, yes, at first you may have wondered where he was. And I think he even, if you look at John, he wondered where he was at. And God had to, Jesus had to forgive, tell him, look, you're forgiven, keep moving on. So it shows us oftentimes as we grow and mature, you know, really where, you know, that we are a follower of Christ. But even more importantly, and this is where I kind of jumped in here, it allows us, it shows us to be witnesses of, uh, to the world. 
You know, God has called us to be holy, to be set apart. In this passage, it says here, or 1 Peter, it says 1, 15 through 16, uh, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 1 Peter 15 through 16. And then it, um, in this passage, verses 3 and 4, it says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also, or you also will appear with him in glory. Um, so God calls us to, uh, to a holy life. Uh, you know, one of the things that when we, we've been working through 1 Peter in the Sunday school class, the thing that has jumped out at me in kind of looking at the context of 1 Peter is there was a lot of persecution. And the church at that time was persecuted for a number of things, or they were ridiculed, not just persecuted, but ridiculed. One was they didn't take part in, in emperor worship, which was very, was very common. The emperor oftentimes was looked at as godlike and worshipped as a god. And those that didn't do it, it wasn't just like, hey, you know, you need to worship the emperor. You were looked as unpatriotic. You weren't a good Roman. And so they had that, they had to kind of say, well, no, I, I'm still a good citizen, but I just can't do that. They were also kind of um, considered sometimes antisocial because they wouldn't take part in the kind of the party and the way people would do things. Now, they weren't antisocial, they loved each other, but they just weren't going to do certain things. And then they were kind of a little weird because, you know, they, they said that, you know, relations should only be between a husband and wife. Um, and so one of the things that jumps out at to me kind of at looking at this is, is that God has called us all to kind of live by a certain standard. And that standard has not changed. The society around us has changed at different times. It's gone different ways. Um, <clears throat> on the other hand, it hasn't changed because they will always find something about us that either they want, you know, persecute us or they just find weird or make fun of what, the way we do it. Um, this also brings... Um, uh, me to kind of something that happened in my own life, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> this brings home the, the importance uh, in our witness that we stay true to God, what God wants, and not get sidetracked by things that are not necessarily of the Lord. It also brings the importance of living the life God has called us to. to. This came true for me in an incident in my own life. Um, some years back when I was in school, I had one class where the, the professor uh, would give his instructions on the final words. He would hand every student a sealed envelope, and his instructions were: is, go study for your exam, but then when you're ready to take it, open the exam and take two hours, take the exam and come turn it in. Now, at that time in my life, it was a period of my life when I, I was not walking with the Lord. So I just thought this was ridiculous, as did my friends. And the moment we walk out of that class, well, let's just say that we didn't follow those rules, right? Um, and so we went on through the class, and then, uh, then I kind of jump ahead, and I was in law school, and one of the things about the first year of law school was, is usually you found a study group that you studied with. And I studied with the same four guys for all year long, so for about seven, eight months, I got to know three other people really, really well. Um, I, learned a lot of, uh, I learned a lot about Seinfeld. In fact, they were really good with imitations. But we studied all the time, you know, and it's the same thing. When you spend that much time, you, you laugh, you also get angry with each other, you end up yelling at each other over things, what have you. But, and what interesting, two of us were Christians and two of, us, two, of them were, two of us were not, me and another guy were Christians, and I was relaying this story and how ridiculous I thought that this teacher would actually think that people would, 
you know, and I was going on and on about it. And then one of the guys who's not a Christian says, oh, yeah, we would have never done that. We had this, you know, strict rule, you know, the strict honor code at my school. We would have never done that. And like a lightning bolt, it hit me. It said, one, I had done something wrong. B, I was bragging about it. And three, it was a non-Christian who pointed it out to me. And what I found kind of interesting is, is that God has a way of, you know, interesting way sometimes of revealing our sin to ourselves. We get so caught up in going our way that we don't see like, hey, you know, you did something wrong there and you're not even like seeing it. And God has to get our attention and sometimes in a way that may even embarrass us by somebody who's not trying to embarrass us. But I was embarrassed, trust me. And I remember thinking, God, what kind of witness am I? So maturity is important because it's part of our, it, it helps with our witness. So why maturity? We are commanded to. It reveals that we are followed of Christ and, is, and it is our witness to the world. So how are we to be mature? The, this passage gives us two ways. It says, sets our hearts on the things above, set your minds on the things above. Now you look at that and think, well, are we kind of splitting hairs? It seems kind of the same thing. Well, not really. When you kind of take this apart, one has to do with the mind. You know, you, you know in your mind what to do. You study the word. In verse 16 down that we'll look at, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So you're setting your mind on the things above. But the heart has to do more with the moral code. It's the other side of the coin. It's, it's your internal moral code that says, it's not just that you know what to do right, you want to do right. It's something inside of you that's driving you to do what's right. And the other thing, the next thing is, what does this look like? There are two things that when we say, what does this look like? Put to death, uh, one is to put to death your old life. Verse 5 says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because these... The wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. By the way, this is not an exhaustive list. I know some of you are thinking, hey, my sin's not on there, so it's okay, I can continue to do it. Right? Thanks for laughing. I'm working on that. Um, uh, but no, it wasn't an exhaustive live. Paul was just trying to illustrate some things, and he probably picked some things from that period that he felt people would identify with, which is interesting because I think these are still problems too, so I think everyone can identify them. Um, and also, I get this from the commentary I looked at, New American Commentary. Actually, Dr. Malik was one of my professors who wrote it. On, um, he says also, it wasn't like Paul in this passage when he talks about even really the passage before that, you know, if you have Christ, then somehow, you know, your, these desires are going to be met. He says, um, he, what, he's, what Paul is talking about here is actually putting things to death, almost cutting them off, right? You need to get rid of this. This is reminiscent of what um, Jesus said uh, in uh, Mark 9, 43-47. It says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye 
and to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now, I think Jesus was speaking somewhat figuratively here, but I think the point is made is that we need to cut off those things that cause us to sin. Um, you must put those parts um, that cause you to sin to death. The second way we, we, uh, second way we see or deal with uh, being mature is we put on the new self. And this comes from this passage. It says, put on the new self, um, which is a being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever uh, grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and, and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Um, this is... Um, oh, actually, that's the rest of us. Sorry. Um, this is a long list. Um, and it has a number of things. Clothe yourselves with, and actually I originally in my notes had it all spaced out, but I had to bunch them here to get them all in there. But clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. That's just the first one. Bear with each other, forgive, love, be at peace or unity as it is among believers. Be thankful. Let the word of God, Christ, dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That's a big list. That's a lot of things to go over. Um, when I think, when I read through this, um, I, the, I, and I think of myself, particularly the passage, Filthy Language, comes out. Um, in, in the phrase, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Is that kind of a... a a poignant place in my life. Uh, one is, is going back to when I was in high school, uh, my youth group, a youth group I was a part of got connected with another group nearby, which is always a lot of fun. And I'd like to say that I thought it was great just because it, you know, it was, it was great, it was great spiritual experience and stuff. But oftentimes it meant I can meet girls that were Christian at another church, right? Um, but, you know, it was a great experience. There were some guys that were really intense about their faith and took this passage about singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs very literally. You'd walk up to them, talk to them, and they'd sing to you. And, you'd, and I remember getting really frustrated, like, would you just answer the question? Why do you have to sing to you? On the other hand, for anybody that knows me, I'm a, I'm a lover of musical theater. I listen to uh, show tunes and stuff. And there's a part of me that thinks, hey, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing. We walk around and sing each other like it's just a big musical. I'm reading my Bible. Do you know Jesus loves you? Right? And we'd have a great time, right? So they did that, okay? Um, and then, um, but then kind of push ahead. As I mentioned, I was in the Navy. Um, when I joined the Navy, it was a time when I wasn't walking with the Lord. And, and I remember, I, I, I used the term, I put God on the shelf. I said, you know, God, I'll get back to you. I want to kind of, I want to live my life. Um, an interesting thing is when you go to something new like that, where no one knows you, you can be who you want to be because no one's going to go, well, you can't be that person. You're this person, right? Um, and, you know, I'm sure you've all heard that phrase, you know, swear like a sailor. It's not just some cute phrase somebody come up. There's some truth to that. Um, in fact, I used to always say that there's two things I learned from the Navy. I learned how to curse and I learned how to talk dirty about women because those were common things that, when, that happened. Um, now, moving ahead to where the Lord kind of got a hold of me, 
and brought me back, right, to him. And I, Lord was cleaning, cleaning up my language because it was pretty bad and was cleaning up a lot of areas in my life. And uh, after a few months, I had gone to this large church in Sacramento. After the Sunday evening service, they, uh, they would go into the gym. It was a big church. They had a big, big auditorium, you know, big gym. I think it was a school there. And we would go play basketball. And I got really fouled this one time. And like slapped on that like two or three times. And so I just let one fly. And some guy behind me goes, hey, watch your language. And I'm like, at this point where I'm at in my life, I wasn't going to be talked to that way. So I immediately turned around, dropped the ball, and walked up and looked him right in the face, like, you know, bring it on, buddy. And some guy next to me goes, dude, it's church. And I thought, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> right? By the way, kids, no cursing. It's not, I'm not saying this is a good thing, right? All right? So, um, and so I, I'm not proud of that. I'm just trying to illustrate where I was at in my life at that point and where the God had had me. Um, as time went on, uh, you know, I stopped swearing, except for on my reserve weekends, which is kind of weird. It's like I'd stop swearing, but then I'd go back and I'd kind of regress. And I remember one day, this voice came to my head and said, you know, you sound really stupid when you talk that way. And I, I firmly believe that's the Holy Spirit was speaking to me at that moment. And it kind of changed me at that point. I said, you know, I, I do need to stop what I'm doing. Move on ahead. The story's not over. Graduated from seminary. I'm in between things. I'm, I'm working in construction because I need a job. Now, mind you, I probably now have worked in probably the two profession where cursing and talking dirty about women are probably the most prominent, right? Construction, the military. Um, and so I had fell into bad habits. In fact, I was working with another Christian, man, Christian person, Christian man, and we were in bad habits, and I felt really bad. You know, I was feeling like this isn't right, and I went home, and uh, God, um, God pointed out this phrase one day, pointed out this passage to me from Ephesians, which has the similar language to the Colossians passage. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I read this passage and it hit me about what this meant. So it wasn't that we go around singing to each other. It's how we talk to each other, right? In fact, I, it hit me so hard that I took this passage, I copied it, made it small, and put it in my wallet, and it's still there today. And I'd show it to you now, but I just realized I forgot my wallet at home. So, um, which don't tell the policeman when I'm driving home, please. Um, but I do, I still have it after, and this is going on 15 years, it still sits in my wallet. And why did I copy it? Is it magical? No. But I wanted it to be something more. I wanted to do something that they would say, look, I've got to change the way I deal with people. I've got to change the way I talk. You know, it's about having an attitude that resembles all these things that we listed. Um, and I'm going to go back a little bit here. But we're, we're an attitude on how we deal with people, how we approach people. We forgive, we love, we lift each other up. We, we talk to each other. Because the term filthy language, you can get locked into that and just think curse words. But the reality is you can use filthy language and not even use any curse words. It's how you talk to people. It's how you engage with people. It's where your And the thing is, the way you talk reveals where your heart's at. You know, and that's the thing that always gets us when we're, when we're, when we're not around. We don't think people are, are hearing or are, are, are seeing. And we say things, oh, I didn't, realize, I didn't realize you were there. Well, 
That's because it's revealing something about you maybe you don't want people to know. Now, I admit, though, that I, I'm not a, always a super stickler about cursing, and not that I'm encouraging people to curse. I just think that it really has to do about how we're talking to people and how we're relating and how we're just talking about life and what we're talking about. What we say reveals upon our heart, and it also how we treat each other. Um, so what does it look like? We put to death your old self, and we put on our new self. So this brings me to my last point, which is, what is the ultimate goal of all of this? So here you go. I put it in big letters so you wouldn't miss it. We put God first. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. All right? And we see this. In verse 1, it says, In whatever you do, or in the last verse, actually, of this passage, in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus, give thanks to God and the Father through him. Uh, Jesus even took it a little deeper, a little bit higher level when he called us to die for him. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know, I've been challenged more and more with the idea that in everything we do, we should be glorifying God. And you know, what's interesting thing is the things that glorify God are not always the things that I per se always want to do, but it glorifies God. Um, there's no room for the thoughts, well, I think God would want me be, to be happy, so it's okay to, for me to do it. I hear that a lot. Well, God would want me to be happy, so I'm going to do something that violates Scripture. Like, no, no, no. Yes, God wants you to be happy, but that doesn't fit into it. It's about glorifying God and doing what God wants you to do. Now, God loves me. It's not, it's not that he wants me to be happy, but because sometimes sin can make us happy, it's not okay. <clears throat> Thus, we are always faced with a challenge on who will be first. If you think about it, that's the issue back in the garden. Who else wanted to be first? Adam and Eve. They wanted to be first. They made that determination, I come first, God comes second, or down the road. And I think throughout our walk with the Lord, we are always fighting against the original sin that says, me first. Um, I want to finish with a quote um, from uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Disciples. He, he writes a whole book about what it means, to, the cost of being a follower of Christ. But I always loved his, some of his quotes in there, some great quotes on something. One, on, on, oh, there's one quote I'll finish with, but the one also, and what he talks about in there, he uses the term costly grace versus cheap grace. And he defines that. So what does he say is that cheap grace is the preaching of, for, of the forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is a treasure hidden in a field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all he has. It is a pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out an eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his net and follows." Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man uh, the only true life. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for this uh, day. Thank you for your word. 
Lord, I pray, Lord, that, the, that, that we, uh, people got something from the, your word today that they could apply to their life, that you were speaking to their hearts, and that take us out safely this way and apply those things that we learned today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.